Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Queer Squared. I am Ashley, one of your co-hosts. Hello, everyone. This is Ogi, pronounced like Yogi Bear without the Y. And I'm super excited for our topic today. We're going to be talking about one of my big, big passions, astrology. And yeah. So this is really fun, honestly, because the past couple episodes we've done have been um, a little bit heavier, in my opinion. So we wanted to do something light. We wanted to do something about me, obviously. (laughs) And what better way to do that than to have Ogi do a chart reading of my chart. So for those of you who don't have a lot of knowledge about astrology, um, Ogi is just very well-versed in all things astrology they spend a lot of time doing research and honestly have just really taken off with the craft um so i'm gonna go ahead and let ogi give us kind of an introduction on well actually before we do that let's talk about how we got into astrology oh yeah um so i'm gonna start actually because you know it's all things to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so Obviously, as like a a child, as like a young teen, I only knew about like your sun sign. And then I got to college and I found out more about um, having like a big three and having a moon sign and like calculating all of that. And like I didn't still have like a deep, deep understanding. But I think at the time it was right before astrology started like really taking off and like right before like most people didn't really know like what their moon sign was or what their big three was. And so I think Ogi was actually studying abroad at the time. And then they came back and I was like, what's your moon sign? And Ogi was like, what's that? And like in their like super excited, like chipper voice, whenever we talk about something that has to do with like ourselves, you know, and like the vanity of it all. And so then I explained it and then I showed Ogi like how to like calculate it. And then from there, like they really, really just went into it and would tell me, would like tell me like very, like would ask me very like specific questions about like my childhood and like my mom. And then they would be like, (laughs) well, actually, so because of your Saturn being conjunct sextile with this planet, this means that you have an intense fear of intimacy, something like that, like really just (laughs) intense. And I was like, and honestly, it makes sense because to me, astrology is a science and little known fact about Ogi is that they're actually really good with the sciences like Ogi's low key a STEMI. So um For real, I'm like a STEM in disguise. Yeah, you are. I clearly got my start with astrology with Ashley. And it's not that I wasn't aware of astrology before that, you know, chance event of Ashley discovering moon and rising signs. It's that when people would talk to me about being an Aries or just what I knew about Aries from like Greek mythology because I was super into Greek mythology when I was younger I didn't vibe with it I was like I'm not aggressive I'm not confrontational like the planet of war that's not me so I I always was like oh yeah sure whatever astrology and then once Ashley introduced me to the concept of moon signs and rising signs and I found out that both of mine are Gemini that just like clicked for me because I really do identify with that part of my chart and it offered like the balance that I needed with the fireness of Aries for me to be like, oh, wait, no, like there's actually so much truth to this. I'm not just this one thing. And yeah, like as she said, it's a science. It's there's a lot of calculation. There's math. you got to use geometry. And 
it also like involves a lot of field research. So you can only learn so much from a book, which is why when I first got into it, I would ask very like personal, albeit invasive at time questions to Ashley and everyone in my life, just because like I wanted to know like, oh, like how does this specific aspect manifest in real life? Because sometimes you'll look at something and it'll be very vague. Like for example, one planet can mean love, but if it's in the sign that like has to do with like boundaries, like it can manifest in a very specific way, but like that doesn't mean that everyone is going to have that thing. So in order for you to be able to like properly understand astrology, you have to ask people questions because things change also depending on like what culture you're a part of, what time period you're in. Like I'll be reading some like Egyptian astrology books and they'll talk about how like a specific sign means that this person is going to end up being like a hopeless vagrant wandering the streets for the rest of their lives. And like maybe that can happen today, but today that just might mean that like they're going to be doing a lot of like traveling and being a nomad. Whereas like back then being a nomad could have me meant a lot of difficulties. But today that's actually not as difficult because there's more resources available for that. So time period and like culture makes a huge difference. And I just love like thinking about those things. Ogie, can you tell us a little bit about how someone can have a different chart depending on like if you are centering the stars in the astrological universe or the sun, like sidereal, um, your sidereal real versus like your Western real? So I don't know if I fully understand the question you're asking, but the so the difference between like the tropical and I always say sidereal, sidereal, I've heard many different pronunciations, uh, but it's like the astrological school of thought practice primarily in like India or South Asian region of the world is so it has a lot to do with how the placements in the skies are calculated so in tropical astrologies like perspective we look at the signs from where they stood at the time that astrology like kind of reached its peak and like was fully formed Whereas in sidereal, um, the placement of the signs has been moving based on a specific axis point on the Earth. Because the Earth rotates on its axis and every like hundreds, thousands of years, it like tilts a little bit. And because of the tilt of the Earth's orbit, it changes the placement a little bit of where the signs land. So like, for example, in sidereal, I'm a Pisces sun, Taurus moon, Taurus rising. And in tropical, I'm an Aries sun, Gemini moon, Gemini rising. But that's because in the last 2000 years, the Earth's tilt has moved ever so slightly for me to be for it to be one sign. Whereas like for someone else, they might still be a cancer sun, but only their moon sign changed, for example. So it's not okay. the same for everyone. I have found for me that both can be true. But for some reason, in terms of like my life and how I've learned to understand my life, I align more with tropical astrology. But I actually find that I learn the most in-depth information from like studying astrologers from India. Like I like the way that they frame things. I like the way that they look at the charts because they practice a, a form of astrology that's very closely connected to the um, traditional Egyptian astrology that was practiced in the Middle East 
um, when it got its peak in like whatever. So I really like learning from them, but I just apply it to the tropical charts, if that makes sense. So and that's just like my style. If you're talking about the astrology that's practiced in India, is that Vedic astrology? Yeah, so it's Vedic, but okay. then they use the sidereal chart. Okay, I see. I see. So like um, Vedic is like the, the practice and then the sidereal chart is going to be like the actual calculation. Right. Because you can be like a Western astrologer and use a sidereal chart. Oh, um, I see. And okay. in Vedic astrology, they also incorporate like a lot of the deities in Hinduism and they like incorporate other things like I, I, we don't have to get into it, but just like there's more there's a different spiritual lens used in Vedic than we use in Western, which is more, uh, I guess, not religious focused. If that OK, yeah. I I listened to a podcast episode from like two people who were into astrology, but not like not like you, in my opinion, um, as far as like their knowledge and expertise goes. And they were talking about how like in Vedic astrology, there's a lot more emphasis on like feminine energy and there's more emphasis on the stars and the planets rather than the sun when like Western astrology focuses more on like the sun, which is like understood as like a masculine energy. I think Vedic is a lot more balanced. Mm. I wouldn't say they focus more on the feminine. I think they focus equally on the feminine and the masculine. Mm -hmm. But in Western astrology, there is a huge emphasis on the masculine. And that's okay. like that that's why I think the difference looks that way. Because like when you look at Hellenistic astrology or Egyptian astrology, um, from like the first, second, eighth centuries, like it's very similar to Vedic. Okay. It's more of like a modern thing, like that has happened in my opinion because of like consumerism because it's it's a lot easier to like produce content in a newspaper or even on instagram only using sun sign because it's easy to find out if you're an airy sun or a gemini sun because like you just have to know like what month more or less you were born in but to figure out what your moon and rising sign you have to have very specific information and it requires a lot of knowledge about the tradition so like that's not as easily consumed by a mass audience. So um, I think capitalism has really changed the way that we even look at astrology in the West. That's very insightful. Um, I, yeah, when it comes to like the sidereal chart, I, I definitely resonated with the fact that instead of being a Sagittarius, um, I'm a Scorpio in my sidereal chart. And mm. I'm going to talk a little bit about this because it needs to be said. My identity crisis that I had about um, a few years ago in 2020. So when I first calculated my big three back in like probably 2015, I was under the understanding that I was a Sagittarius sun, Cancer moon and Scorpio rising. And I deeply resonated with the Scorpio rising because I felt that I just had like this charismatic like dark energy to me that I could just kind of like initiate whenever I wanted to that I had like full control over like how people like perceived me in that way and then I had a deeply rude awakening um a few years ago in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic um I had seen a tweet where someone talked about their chart being completely different because their birth time was off by like two hours and then I got the sudden fear that I've been basing my entire identity based off of my parents' memory. And I was like, that's not good enough. Actually, I need to see it on paper. <laughs> so then I went on the hunt for my birth certificate 
and I found my birth certificate and lo and behold, my birth time was off by three hours. And I was like, this is, this is not good. Um, I'm unwell. And so I plugged it into cafe astrology. Um, and it turns out that I'm actually a Capricorn rising. And Ogie was not surprised by this news, mainly because they said that they didn't actually feel like I was a Scorpio rising this whole time and just did not tell me any of this. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I've learned to resonate with the Capricorn rising. Like, I do think it actually does make sense. But in the sidereal chart, I am actually a Scorpio sun, which makes more sense to me than actually being a Sagittarius sun. Because all of the things about Sagittarius, aside from being like, I do feel very much aligned with the rest of the fire signs. And like fire signs are typically the people I get along with the best. But as far as like the the impulsiveness, the adventurousness, the, um, you know, inability to actually, you know, get into relationships, none of those things resonate with me, really. Um, I think I definitely relate to like the Cancer Moon the most out of like my Western chart. Um, I'm definitely a Cancer Moon. So, but yeah, I had to give that little anecdote about um, one of like the most startling moments of my life. Yeah, no, I had a similar but not as dramatic um, experience with finding out I had the wrong birth time. My mom claims she never gave me the wrong time. She says I misunderstood her, whatever. But she, the time that I heard apparently from her incorrectly was one hour off. It didn't change any of my signs, but it did change the angles and the aspects that were being formed. And to me, that was a big difference because... I like the new ones more. They align more with me. So that was very nice. And I think it's time that we get into the chart. I have Ashley's chart pulled up here. So I'm going to just look at it. So I have something to reference while I'm talking. And there's like a couple things I want to say before I get started. Number one. So I think the most important things you need to know is that when it comes to your sun, moon, and rising, these are seen as like the most personal planets. And the the school of thought that I follow is very much based in the traditional, specifically Egyptian astrology. And for them, when they would talk about signs, they wouldn't like if, if I was going to say, oh, I'm a Aries. If I said that in the year 75, for example, that would mean that I'm an Aries rising. Like people refer to themselves with their rising sign, which to me makes perfect sense because that's the most personal part of your chart. It changes literally every two hours, sometimes more often depending on the time of day or the time of year. And so that's one thing. So I think it's interesting to me when people say that they don't identify so much with their son, like for example, with Ashley, where she doesn't identify as much with like their Sagittarius rising because... In Ashley's case, their son is in the 12th house, which is notorious for being a house that eats up planets and makes them unseen, especially to the person, because it's a part of the chart that can't be seen from the first house. I'm getting a little technical, but all to say that depending on what house a planet is in, it's going to affect how visible it is to people. It's going to affect how much energy you have in that area of your life and it's also going to affect how capable that planet is in being able to do the things it wants to do so 
I'm going to talk a little bit about the houses first. So when you say rising sign, for example, in Ashley's case, they're a Capricorn rising. For her, that means that Capricorn is the first house. So the first house has to do with the personality, sense of self, body, literally everything that is you. So people have this idea that when you look, especially in modern astrology, when you look at a chart, everything in the chart is you. That's a misconception. I would say if you look at the chart, there's like maybe like half, a little bit less than half of the houses actually have to do with you. A lot of the houses have to do with other people. Like, for example, the seventh house, which for Ashley is cancer and that's where her moon is, that has to do with Ashley's partners. So even though because Ashley's moon is in the seventh house, it's going to be an aspect of that that is related to them. It's not necessarily just about Ashley. So if something were to happen in the seventh house, it may have nothing to do with her. It could be something to do with Ashley's partner at the time. So, for example, when we look at transits, like let's say right now, let's pretend that like Mars is retrograde and cancer. It's not but like let's pretend that would mean that there might be some kind of conflict going on with one of Ashley's partners. And by partner, it could be like romantic, but it could also be business. Like, for example, within the capacity of this podcast, I am Ashley's partner. So like if there is a Mars retrograde happening in the seventh house, that could mean that there's something going on with me and it has nothing to do with Ashley. So that's just to say, I mean, I don't want to get too complicated, but just to give an idea about how the chart is more a picture of your life not so much a picture of you and not something that you need to like fully integrate as part of your identity either so in ashley's case as a capricorn rising capricorn is a planet that's ruled by saturn saturn is a planet that has to do with time commitment boundaries it is even if you look at Saturn, Saturn is beautiful because it has these rings and the rings are very structured, even though it's a huge planet. The rings are really freaking flat. Like if you look at pictures when people go in, not people, but like, you know, machines go into space. It's very it's very it's a very structured planet, which I think is something interesting that even the ancients were able to like understand just by studying the stars so saturn has a lot to do with time periods that's why when you're in a saturn return it marks a transition between early life to adulthood to like third stage of life and i'm saying all this to explain that capricorns and at times aquarius but more so capricorn because it's the earth side of saturn are known for being very mature like a capricorn rising is someone who wanted to mature or was required to mature very quickly. They are going to value quality over quantity from a very early age. That's not something that Capricorns really had to learn through life experience. Capricorns are going to be people that want to build, that want to do something that lasts. It's like a there's no energy for nonsense, really, which can be off-putting to someone like a Gemini, for example, because a Gemini loves nonsense. So a Capricorn rising is going to have that kind of you know perspective going into things and in ashley's case there's two personal planets in the first house so when you have a planet in the house that usually gives more energy to that area of life so whenever i see people with a lot of planets in the first house like ashley that to me tells me oh you must have like a big personality 
Like, even if you don't realize you have a big personality, people notice you. So Ashley has Venus and Mars both in the first house, clearly both in Capricorn. And that, to me, I think is very clear because Ashley, to me and to most, if not all people, is someone that is very much like a fashion icon, very much like noticed for the way that they put themselves together. I think one of the things that people tell me about Ashley after they meet her is like, oh my God, I love Ashley's makeup. That outfit was so cool. She has such a cool personality, very like calm, cool and collected. And those are things that I would attribute to like a Venus in Capricorn. And having that in your first house just means that that's something that you showcase to the world as part of yourself. And then likewise with Mars, Mars is a planet that's rules like conflict. It rules boundaries. It rules separation. So Venus has to do with bringing people together. It's a planet of relationships. It's a planet of beauty. And sometimes, I mean, not even sometimes, Venus and Mars are actually opposing planets. And I think it's interesting that you have both of those planets in your first house. And to me, when you told me that you weren't a Scorpio rising and you weren't a Capricorn, the and that you are a Capricorn rising, the reason that made sense to me is because I realized the parts that you saw from the Scorpio rising come from that combination of like the Venus and Mars being in your first house, where there's that push and flow of like being able to like make yourself known in very specific ways and at the same time being able to separate yourself and exclude people when you wanted to without it creating any kind of like unnecessary conflict which I think people can struggle with at times so with someone with a Mars in the first house I mean Mars it loves to be in Capricorn it's exalted in Capricorn so because of that it's going to actually be beneficial to you normally in for people who are born in the daytime like you are, Mars is a planet that causes a lot of strife, causes a lot of conflict. So it's very possible that with a Mars in the first house, you have had to deal with the struggle or like having to come to terms with the fact that maybe you push people away, that you exclude people at times from your life without trying to, because that's what Mars does. Mars pushes away, cuts people off creates conflict um and typically i would attribute that to being a very bad thing but because it's in your first house and because mars is actually in capricorn where it likes to be even though it might cause it might be a place that causes a lot of trouble for you at the end of the day it's going to be to your benefit so like you may be upset that you ended up like cutting ties with this person but like at the end of the day that was in your best interest because mars is always going to work in your best interest in your chart not other people's charts but yeah i spoke a lot how do you feel about that um i feel like it definitely makes sense especially how you mentioned like both mars and venus being in the first house and how that makes up like a huge part of like my personality and like who i am and just being able to have like control over how I present myself and when I decide to like put those presentations on um and just like you mentioned just building towards something I feel like I'm very intentional with like everything I do I feel like when I take on a project or like at work or whatever it is I'm doing I constantly am asking myself what is this going to lead to 
and mm-hmm. how is this either going to benefit or lead to consequences and based off of like how I feel if it's going to benefit me if it's going to lead to consequence is going to impact how I go about in that situation and so there's always a motivation like a motivating factor with like everything I do and if I feel kind of like stunted if I'm not sure what the um like consequence or the benefit is going to be typically I will not act I will just kind of be stagnant because I'm like I don't see how this is I don't know how this is going to play out so I don't feel comfortable taking any action yet until I have like more information to like inform what I'm going to do next yeah interesting Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense to me are there any things about having a Capricorn rising as someone who lives it that you want to share maybe that you've like recognized throughout the years? I feel like my understanding of Capricorns before knowing that I had a Capricorn rising was had a lot to do with like leadership and people in leadership positions and being a little bit withdrawn from like the human component of leadership if you're leading people if you're leading a country um i felt that capricorns would have sort of a a cold um demeanor because that's what they had to do in order to get things done but i think that since realizing that i have a capricorn rising understanding that the style of leadership i take on I have more control over and there are different ways to lead people. And it's more about the, the energy that goes into the leadership and how you, how seriously you take it. That feels more of like the actual Capricorn energy versus the demeanor that takes over when you do become a leader. Um, I feel like over the past um, like year, I felt or I feel like I've taken on like more leadership just in my life in general, when it comes to making like making decisions and realizing that like I have more control over like my future than I originally thought, um, which I feel like has a lot more to do with like childhood trauma than anything else of like feeling like things were just going to happen to me. And I had like no control over that. Whereas like now I feel like I do have control over the things that happen to me and Mm -hmm. I can also make life happen for me. So I feel like I have taken on the reins more in like these past few years in like achieving what I want to achieve and getting done the things I want to get done. And like realizing that like the only way I'm going to make those things happen is by like taking the steps to actually make them happen. Yeah, I love that you said that. A lot of what I was hearing from that comment that you made was the Mars and Capricorn, like this idea of like taking charge, taking control and like control over what you have control over because you don't have control over life, but we have control over ourselves. And as a Mars and Capricorn, what that's kind of like what I heard coming through. So, yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I am going to move over to your Cancer Moon now. And something I want to say as I do this is when you're looking at your chart to anyone in the audience, I suggest to start with looking at the angular houses. So when I say angular houses, I mean the first house, which is the you house, the seventh house, which is the other house. So like partner partnerships. And then the fourth and 10th house. So the fourth house has to do with like your family, 
your foundational life experiences, your private life. And the 10th house has to do with like your public life, your reputation, your career, like what you are known for. And the reason I say that is because these four houses are the houses that have the most energy. They have the most capacity to enact change in your life. And if we're looking at like our placement in the stars, the first house and the seventh house are the horizon points. So the first house is where the sun would rise from. Um, and the seventh house is where the sun would set. And likewise, the 10th house is whatever the peak point of the sky is. So if it's like noonish time and the sun has reached its highest point, that's the midheaven point. And opposite to that would be when the sun is furthest from either descending or rising in the horizon. And to me, that makes sense in terms of like what these houses mean, because when the sun rises from the first house, that's literally the sun being born. So the rise, the rising sign is where the sky was when you were born, when you arose into this reality. And then the 10th house is when the sun is the most visible or when any planet is the most visible, it would be in the 10th house. And the fourth house is when it's in the, le the least visible and you're the least visible when you're at home. You're the least visible when you're in your room with your own thoughts um, in terms of like in reference to the public. So yeah, that's just like a little tidbit. And I mentioned that because Ashley's moon is in the seventh house. So Ashley has three personal planets that are angular. And so that means that these three planets are going to be the most noticeable or like the most, um, I guess, salient for Ashley, which would be the Venus, the Mars, and now the moon. So even though you're born in the daytime and typically people who are born in the daytime are going to relate more to their sun because your moon is angular. That's going to make it a lot more prominent for you than someone else who's a Sag sun that was born in the day. So your moon is in the seventh house and it's in cancer. The moon loves to be in cancer. It, you actually have a lot of planets that are in their own home or in their place of exaltation, which is very auspicious. It's a, a great thing to have in terms of, I guess, how astrology looks at things. And, the moon, the moon likes being in Cancer, one, because it's at home, but also because Cancer is a sign that likes to create safety for itself. It likes to create a sense of security in an emotional and like, let's call it comfort, because like you have to be comfortable in order to like allow yourself to be vulnerable and the moon loves vulnerability the moon loves emotion the moon loves to like understand through feeling and having a cancer moon is actually very great i think a lot of people period in general struggle with understanding their emotions and someone with a cancer moon and or potentially can uh taurus moon are going to have that be less of an issue you, you still might struggle understanding your emotions or like coming to terms with like emotional processing and stuff like that. But in comparison to society at large, you have the upper hand. And the re apart from having to do with emotional responses, the moon also has to do with the body. The moon has to do with your relationship to your mother. It also has to do with your relationship to the earth. Um, and 
there's a lot of other things that have to do with that. But in terms of having it in cancer, you're going to be someone who is going to be very caretaking, especially when it has to do with like partners in your life because you have the cancer moon there. It's going to be the role of a mother in a lot of ways, but also the role of just wanting to nurture wanting to you're going to be very intuitively aware of other people's needs so someone with a cancer moon especially in the seventh house might be someone who for most of their life they were taking care of other people's needs they were taking care of their friends when they got too fucked up when or like taking care of even at times maybe random people i think in your case it might be different because the capricorn is going to have that like no get away from me but in general a cancer moon is going to have such an open heart is going to have such a desire to help others because a cancer moon has an overflow of that like emotional I don't want to say stability, but like emotional, like sense of security, because a priority for a Capricorn, Capricorn, Cancer Moon, or just Cancer in general is to have that sense of security. So I think sometimes there's like this idea in mainstream that Cancers are toxic, I guess, which I, anyone can be toxic. It doesn't matter what sign you have. But like if a cancer is lashing out at you, if a cancer is being very insecure, if a cancer is trying to manipulate you in any way, which are things that I've heard like emotional manipulation can be something that cancers are known for that probably means this person doesn't feel safe. That probably means this person's needs aren't being taken care of because they've been focusing so much of their energy and taking care of other people because a cancer is going to be aware of the needs of other people. That's kind of like the maternal instinct that's in the cancer of like looking for the signs of other people needing something. And if they aren't in an environment that also takes care of them and that could be through a fault of their own you know like if you're not if you're not putting your needs as a priority then why would someone else put your needs as a priority you know that's what can lead to someone acting from those places of insecurity so emotional security is very important a cancer moon or someone who's a cancer is probably going to want validation and affirmations from their loved ones like if they don't hear you tell them I love you. I care about you. You're important to me. And then also show through actions that might potentially lead the person to read that as information. Even if you haven't said anything bad to them, if you're not, if your actions don't show what you claim to feel, that means more because the cancer is attuned to the body. The moon is the body and instincts come from the body. So a cancer moon or someone with just a prominent moon in general is going to be tuned in to, oh, this person acted differently towards me than they did towards them. Why did you do that for them when I've been asking you to do that for me and you haven't done it for me yet? And that's information for a cancer moon. And usually that's kind of how like intuition can work sometimes. Not always. But yeah, I don't know. I just said a lot. How do you feel? I don't know. I feel really called out, honestly. 
<laughs> I feel like I've always known that like I feel very connected to like the cancer moon but like everything you just like said is like very very spot on for me and like my relationships like both romantic and like friendships and like um like working relationships I think one thing that you said that really stood out that I've realized this year is when you said that it could also be the the fault of the of the cancer placement if other people are not meeting their needs if they themselves don't meet their needs or even express them because I think for like up until like last late last year I had like convinced myself that I didn't have any needs and that Mm. and so I had convinced myself I didn't have them and so when they kind of crept up I suppressed them and then I was like wait actually um I actually do have needs and so Mm -hmm. now I'm sort of like in that process of like communicating my needs to the people I love so that way I actually give them a chance to meet the needs in the first place and so that really stuck out to me and then another thing you said that stuck out is like reading like how I gather information about like the state of my relationships is definitely through like patterns like that too is like patterns to me are like very strong pieces of evidence and I also think that when it comes to like needing the emotional stability I don't know if this is like a true connection but it's how I've kind of made sense of it is that like the the cancer moon kind of puts me in tune with my emotions and needing emotional validation from like my loved ones and then having the uh having my venus and capricorn of like really craving that stability in my relationships of like i'm not about to play games with someone i'm not about to be wishy-washy with someone like i want to be very like forward and just like upfront with like the state of my emotions and how i feel about the state of a relationship and so i feel like those two things might be connected i'm not sure if you have any input on that but um yeah, if I'm not told that I'm loved at least like 10 times a day, I'm going to spiral. <laughs> <laughs> I totally hear what you're saying in a lot of ways, but I'm going to start with the the Venus and Capricorn axis with Cancer. So to begin with, because Venus is in Capricorn and Cancer is the moon, uh, They are opposing each other. So first of all, there's already a relationship there and a very prominent one. So Mars is also going to have that relationship with the moon, even more so than Venus, because they're more closely aspected to each other. And also Venus always has to do with relationships. So if someone were to ask me a question about, oh, Ogie, like what does my chart say about relationships? So I would first look at the seventh house, which for you has the moon in Cancer. And because your moon is in cancer, that means that there's a lot of energy for the moon to do whatever it wants in relation to relationships. Whereas like if your moon was in another sign, then I would look at whatever planet rules that sign. And then after that, I would look at Venus and Venus is in your first house. And then I would also look at like what houses Venus rules. So that would be like the 10th house and the fifth house. We don't have to get into it, but like, so there's a lot of parts in your chart that have to do with relationships. So you mentioning Venus makes complete and total sense because it is the relationship planet, but also it's directly in connection to your Cancer Moon. Okay, that's cool. Uh, something else that you mentioned was like looking at patterns. 
I think that was a very good like key term for me because the moon, it's not a planet. It's considered a luminary, but it, in essence, it acts like the planets. And it is the fastest moving planet. And it's also the only planet that changes its appearance and it changes its appearance very often. So the moon has a lot to do with patterns. It has a lot to do with fluctuations and change. So I don't know. I like that you mentioned that. And that's like a little bit extra piece of information. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the like challenge for me is like discerning when, if a pattern is disrupted, trying to understand that it could have nothing to do with me and everything to do with something that's going on with like that person and like external circumstances and like a a change in pattern doesn't necessarily have to do with like the state of the relationship and it could be like another reason so having that um that rational mind of learning when to feel like it's something to bring up versus when it's something that I can like let myself process and kind of mull over. And then if it's a, if a new pattern is created, then kind of stepping in and being like, Hey, this thing I've noticed is going on. It's sort of changed. Like what's going on here versus when it's like the pattern then kind of um, remedies itself and it goes back into its usual pattern. Then I'm like, oh, okay, like there are fluctuations and patterns from time to time. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something there that is just kind of like a natural part of like human behavior. Like small things can change here and there due to like other things going on. And that's like, okay. And like my brain doesn't need to like short circuit just because of like this one change in the pattern this one time. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I feel like that applies to like, what a lot of people are learning right now, especially when I look at social media, when I talk to my friends, I think we're all becoming more aware of how like our egos lie to us and like freak out for no reason. And I have been noticing that a lot in my life lately too, like overanalyzing patterns and like taking those things personally when there's really no need to do that. And oftentimes like for one, when like, I noticed myself getting into those like obsessive behaviors of like wanting to understand and in a way control other people's behaviors. It has to do when I'm not meeting my own needs or like, like for example, recently I was like freaking out about someone's behavior in my mind, making stories. And I was like, wait, like I haven't, I haven't done any exercise recently. That's probably why I feel like pent up energy. And then, the body has pent up energy and the mind sees that and looks for a problem to attribute to why that's happening. And oftentimes the mind comes up with wrong conclusions just because it's looking for a problem. And usually there's a very simple solution and it doesn't have to be that. It could mean that you haven't drank water. It could mean that you need to stretch. It could mean that you drank too much coffee today and that really could just be it. But unfortunately our minds take things personally at times when it's not necessary. Sometimes it is, but normally it's not, you know? Um, okay, let's continue. So the next part of the chart I want to talk about is the sun. I intentionally talked about the sun last because people focus on it a lot. And I like that in your case, you relate the least to the sun in terms of the big three because it kind of just shows that like, 
one things are more complicated and just because your sun sign is something that doesn't mean you have to fully relate to it so in your case the sun is in the 12th house so i'll first start talking about the 12th house the 12th house is one of those places that doesn't have anything anything to do with you uh the 12th house is a place so the first house is you and you you can think about it as like you're looking this way your eyes are looking at the seventh house. That's where the first house is facing. And the 12th house is like right here on your periphery. So you actually, if you're looking this way, you can barely see something happening here. And that's kind of in, in terms of like how astrology finds meaning. That's where the idea that the 12th house is a place that has nothing to do with the native or the, the person. And also in terms of what the 12th house means, it actually has to do with like, enemies it has to do with like it's seen as like in traditional astrology as one of the worst houses because it has to do with things about life that we as humans typically don't like to deal with so humans typically don't like to deal with isolation don't like to deal with like being separate from society the 12th house has to do with oftentimes topics that are considered to be taboo it has to do with like losses. It has to do with. uh, So like there can be like because I'm saying things that are fully bad, but they don't always have to be bad. So like, for example, if you were to look at where would like imprisonment or banishment or um, losing a lot of money in a business deal happen, it would happen in the 12th house. But another way that that could manifest would be like going on a retreat going to be living as a ascetic monk in a temple being someone who is a super introvert and needs to be alone a lot in order to feel good that those are also 12th house things so like as a society people value extroversion people value being open so in terms of like the 12th house being seen as bad it's because it's like not things that people normally want to deal with so you actually have a lot of planets in your 12th house. You have Sun in Sagittarius, Jupiter in Sagittarius, and Mercury in Sagittarius. Those are three personal planets. You also have Pluto, but that's like a generational planet. But having three planets in one place is very significant. It's a concentration of energy somewhere. So just by looking at this, I would say, oh, wow, you have a very strong focus in like separating yourself from society. You have a very strong focus in like needing to be alone in order to understand yourself in order to do the things that these planets want to do so i'm not going to go super into it because it's going to take forever to talk about everything but just having sun in sagittarius sagittarius is ruled by jupiter and you also have jupiter in sag which is beautiful i'm very jealous of that and that just means that you're going to be someone who's able to Sagittarius is a, a lot about understanding through life experience, understanding through the spirit of life. So Sagittarius opposes Gemini. And whereas Gemini understands life or like seeks to understand through information, through mental processes, Sagittarius wants to understand through experience. And oftentimes this manifests as being adventurous, wanting to travel, doing all of these things that are very external, like a Sagittarius 
is someone who typically is going to take years off and go abroad and travel and like have these very like cathartic experiences that can sometimes be very spiritual. And that would be very true, especially if this planet is like in more visible parts of the chart. It's also possible that you haven't had this experience yet because sometimes placements in a chart aren't global, aren't like um something that's constantly happening, especially if it's not in your angular houses. Having a sun in Sagittarius in the 12th house could mean that at some point in your life, you might feel extremely compelled to like move to Peru and live in the jungle for two years when you're 35 for example, like that, that is what that could mean. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to have that adventure. So sometimes there's specific placements in the chart that talk about a moment in time that is going to be so significant that if you had a book about your life, it would be its own chapter, if that makes sense. Whereas like other times, like a planet, like in your case, Venus, which is in the first house, because the first house is so you, that's going to be something that you would see throughout and it colors your whole picture. So I'm not sure if that makes sense, but that does. And so I kind of have a follow up question then, because I feel like you have had those like periods in your life where like you've kind of wanted to just kind of get up and, you know, move to a random country or like you do that a lot. Like I, I consider you to be very nomadic. Mm -hmm. So how does that resonate for you in your chart then? Okay, so for me, I have Venus in the 12th house and I am notorious to me for having gone on a pretty long backpacking trip in South America. And unbeknownst to me, when that happened, that during that time period, it was, I'm going to use a lot of like jargony words, but I'm just going to say it for the people who understand. I had my 12th house perfection year and that activated my Venus placement being in the 12th house. And I had a very... So the 12th house, like I've been saying, has to do with like isolation. It has to do with like the undoing of the self, the almost like unraveling everything that you thought to be yourself in order to reconstruct it into something more secure. So like even before I knew what a perfection year was, even before I understood properly what the 12th house actually meant during this period of my time when that was activated is when I just felt so compelled to leave and to separate myself from everything I knew to be me. So that's one part. And then the other part for me in terms of like the traveling and everything, it's difficult to say because like I have, so I have my midheaven degree in the ninth house. Again, I'm using jargon. The midheaven degree in the ninth house, which translates a lot of the things that so I'm going to be known for things having to do with the ninth house, which are also like travel, um, spirituality, um, higher learning. And those are things that are going to be transferred into my 10th because my that midheaven degree is in the ninth. And it's also it's amplified for many other reasons. I also have like my Saturn in my 10th house again. So I, I think I'm getting like too specific. But the thing is that. So everyone has 12 houses. Everyone has every single sign in their chart to some degree. What the planets 
the signs, the aspects tell us is to what capacity are these areas of your life going to be prominent and salient for you? So like, for example, everyone has a sixth house. The sixth house has to do with your health. It has to do with like exercise, with like going to the doctor, with um, even like subordinates at work. Like if you're a boss, the people that you boss are going to be in the sixth house it has to do with a lot of things that you have to like put energy into to maintain to uphold like not like like, let's let's not say micromanage but like a boss does have to delegate constantly for things to get done so the sixth house has to do with like those things that you have to constantly upkeep in order for them to stay stable someone with a lot of placements in the sixth house is going to like first of all have that be a very prominent part of their life and also at times that might become exhausting for them because they have to be constantly working to do these things. Whereas someone like me who doesn't really have any prominent placements in the sixth house, I still have to take care of my health. Like I still have to, you know, if at some point I am someone's boss or have been in the past, I still have to delegate tasks. I still have to do these. These are still things that I have to do as a human it's just not going to be something I think about. It's just not going to be like, I don't actually like, even though I am someone who likes to exercise, I don't think about it or put energy into it that way. I've actually found that the less energy I put into my sixth house, the easier that part of my life becomes. If I try to put energy into that part of my house, that doesn't have any planets in it. It becomes exhausting for me because the capacity to achieve within that house the is not being triggered if that makes sense so yeah let's leave it there i think that's very informative um i feel like now i want to go look and see like which houses i have that are like not very prominent in my life and see like which houses just like don't have any planets in yeah so okay let's talk about it for example in your case your fourth house which is a prominent house that has to do with your family, with your uh, upbringing. It's ruled by Mars, which just like naturally means that there is a lot of Mars qualities to your upbringing, potentially like, you know, conflict, change, strife. Um, But it's an empty house. So it's possible that for you, even though because Mars is in the first house, it's you're going to have a lot of like beneficial... maybe not beneficial but like you're gonna have a lot of things in your first fourth house are going to be to your benefit like your for you family life is going to be to your benefit it's going to be attributing to like your sense of self because your fourth house is ruled by mars a planet that is in your first house but because you don't really have any planets there you don't really have to try so hard to make it like it's not like it's not like you have to be constantly working to repair your family relationships. Like you have to be constantly doing all these things. It's almost like these things just happen out of their own accord and they happen to work in your favor because it's ruled by Mars, a planet in your first house. Similarly, the sixth house of health and stuff. I, I know you're not someone who like is super big on the gym and like exercising, but like maybe you're also not someone who has to do that in order to maintain your health. You find healthy practices in other ways and again it's not something that you like necessarily need to put so much attention into in order for it to happen it kind of just happens out of its own accord 
um not saying you shouldn't take care of your health but like in reference to like other people who might actually have to like take a pill every day they have to stretch every morning otherwise they will be miserable they have to run every morning otherwise those are people that have strong sex health placements mm. are people that like need to be doing these things and need to focus energy on these things otherwise they won't be happy yeah that makes a lot of sense um especially with like people i know who do go to like the gym a lot i now i'm thinking i wonder like what planets if any they do have in that house um and i think like for me when it comes to health i do i am mindful of like the things i cook and the things i put in my body but i also don't like beat myself up when i've had a day where i've eaten a lot of junk food or something like in my mind it all kind of balances out and to me balance is like my goal when it does come to health of like eating the things that I know that are good for my body and then also eating the things that like bring me immense joy like you know like Takis or like like Sour Patch Kids or something like that (laughs) and like for me it's about like the the health and well-being of like my brain and the things that like again bring me joy and then understanding like what my body does need and like listening to my body as opposed to like forcing things on my body right I'm going to say this as like the last thing because you're bringing it up. We're talking about it already. So in your case, your sixth house is Gemini. And the planet that rules Gemini is Mercury. You have Mercury and Sag in the 12th house. So and then also that Mercury is conjunct to Jupiter, which is also in Sagittarius. And typically a Mercury and Sag isn't seen as like the best placement because it's technically in detriment in sag not meaning that people with mercury and sag don't know how to communicate or xyz it's just that it's not going to be too through like traditional methods so for one you're not going to achieve for in this case health and well-being in a traditional way just just because your mercury is in sag but also because your Mercury is literally like Jupiter and Mercury are like this, like they're on top of each other. And because Jupiter rules Sag and also Jupiter is the most beneficial planet in your chart, in your specific chart, it's also going to be something that for you isn't going to be not, not only is it not going to be too difficult, it's also going to be fun and playful. Like you're going to find joy in doing these things because Jupiter is also the planet of joy, you know? So that's something that to me just like came up as I was looking at your chart and looking at your sixth house. And that makes sense. Like you said, you're very playful with the way that you like cook or like the way that you find ways to like use and please your body. Cause that's all like sixth house stuff. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So one thing I wanted to bring up now that we've kind of gone through my chart is that um, okay, I know we talked about this, so I kind of want to bring it up to like our our listeners is we want to now that Ogi has like read my chart as an example of like how all of this kind of comes to life and like the application of astrology to someone's personal life. Um, we want to open up the opportunity for folks to ask us questions about astrology. So if you're listening to this and you do have questions about astrology, send them in. Um, you can either DM us or you can email us, except maybe not because I cannot remember our email right now. <laughs> but 
any way you can contact us, do that, ask us your questions, and we'll be answering those on the next episode or two episodes from now. So that way we can get the questions in. So yeah. if you have questions about like your placements, um, I although I will say, Ogie, how would you prefer like if someone has a qu- specific question about like a placement in their chart, should they send in the whole chart so that you can get the context? Or do you think you can answer the question based off of just like them telling you what that specific placement is? So one thing to start, I'm pretty sure you can leave comments on like Spotify and probably Apple as well on podcasts. So like you just leave the questions in the comment section or like in the the thingy under the podcast itself. I think that might be the best place. Also, I want the questions and answers portion of this section of the podcast to be as helpful to everyone as possible. So I don't want to go too specific into someone's chart like I was doing with yours because then it might only be beneficial to that person so I would prefer if you as a listener who has a question were more general and to be honest like most people don't have the knowledge about astrology to be like oh like I want to know what a cancer moon aspecting the sun at this degree means you know most people probably are not going to ask that question but so that, I think that's a misnomer in a way, but just like wanted to say that I want this to be like beneficial to everyone. So, yeah. Yeah, we can definitely do that. And then I just looked right now and did a quick fact check. Um, Don't know where that's at in my chart. My need to fact check everything, but <laughs> you cannot leave comments on Spotify, unfortunately. So, um, and now, you... Ogie, please, we've we've done this before. Can you okay. just believe me? Okay, I'll believe you. I, I might be able to create a poll. I'll see. I'll see. Okay. I'll see. Regardless, in the meantime, while Ogie figures that out, um, yeah, just (laughs) DM us on Instagram. Um, or let me actually look up our email because this is really gonna bother me actually if I don't I don't remember if it's queer squared at gmail.com or queer underscore squared. I I really should know this. I'm going to just like look into my Zoom information because that's Oh, I put it under my email. That's interesting. So why did we create? <laughs> Never mind. We'll talk about this afterwards, but <laughs> we'll put our email in the information for this episode. Um, And yeah. So with that being said, thank you all for listening. Ogi, any closing remarks? I had so much fun doing this. I... I hope you all received something from this, even if like you don't have any of the placements that I talked about relating to Ashley. I feel like this could be helpful for a lot of people. And I hope it was. I feel like for the first time in my life, I truly understand now like more about the function of the houses and like the energy in them, because I I feel like I've had you explain to me so many times, but it's usually just like a very quick like explanation that we have over FaceTime and I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. But now (laughs) that we're talking about it, like in relation to the rest of my chart is when it kind of is coming together for me. Mm, Yeah, that's the beauty of getting a reading. Yeah. And like go super in depth. And honestly, I, I kind of just touched the surface. I could talk about your chart for hours, especially if you have questions. We'll do that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening and, you know, keep a lookout for this episode and send in your questions and we will talk to you next time.
I hope everyone has a great day. Bye.